Section 11 of Global Trends 2030, Alternative Worlds by National Intelligence Council. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patrick McAfee, Merritt Island. Few competing visions of a new international order for the moment. The replacement of the United States by another global power and erection of a new international order seems the least likely outcome of this time period. No other power would be likely to achieve the same panoply of power in this time frame under any plausible scenario. The emerging powers are eager to take their places at the top table of key multilateral institutions, such as UN, IMF, and World Bank. But they do not espouse any competing vision. Although ambivalent and even resentful of the U.S.-led international order, they have benefited from it and are more interested in continuing their economic development and political consolidation than contesting U.S. leadership. In addition, the emerging powers are not a block. They don't have any unitary alternative vision. Their perspectives, even China's, are more keyed to shaping regional structures. A collapse or sudden retreat of U.S. power would most likely result in an extended period of global anarchy where there would be no stable international system and no leading power to replace the U.S. When we have discussed decreasing U.S. power abroad, many scholars and analysts have tended to assume even greater levels of chaos and disorder would ensue than many U.S. experts. The Fog of Transition The present recalls past transition points, such as 1815, 1919, or 1945, when the path forward was not clear-cut and the world faced the possibility of different global futures. In all those cases, the transition was extended and rebalancing was partly a matter of trial and error. Domestic politics was an important factor shaping international outcomes. Going forward, U.S. domestic politics will be critical to how the U.S. conceives and prosecutes its international role. Many of our interlocutors stressed the need for developing a strong political consensus as a key condition for greater U.S. economic competitiveness. A divided U.S. would have a more difficult time of shaping a new role. The transition away from unipolarity toward new global leadership will be a multifaceted and multilayered process played on a number of different levels and driven too by the unfolding of events both domestically and more broadly in the rest of the world. World rebalanced parallels with the past? Some of our interlocutors drew parallels between the current period and the European long peace after 1815 set in motion by the Congress of Vienna. Similarities include a period of rapid social, economic, technological, and political change, and an international system which was largely multipolar. The Europe of 1815 consisted of a diverse set of autocracies like Russia, Prussia, and Austro-Hungarian Empire, and liberal states such as Britain and France. In such a world, Britain occupied a special role. It managed to play an outsized role despite its lack of overwhelming power capabilities. In 1830, 
Russia and France were roughly the same size as Britain in terms of GNP, and by 1913, the U.S., Russia, and Germany all had larger economies. Its global financial and economic position and empire, role as offshore balancer in Europe, and protector of commercial sea lanes linking its overseas dominions, gave Britain the preeminent global role in the international system during the 19th and into the 20th centuries. The current multipolar system is also very diverse, with an even larger number of players, think G20, and international economics and politics is much more globalized. In 1815, coming out of over 25 years of conflict, the great powers had conflicting views which they did not disguise, particularly at home. The Holy Alliance of Russia, Prussia, and Austria sought to fight against democracy, revolution, and secularism, but ended up finding it hard to coordinate collective efforts, and in any event, their efforts proved only effective temporarily, as revolutions and separatist movements continued across Europe throughout the length of the 19th century. A long general peace among the great powers prevailed, mostly because no one wanted to risk imposing its will on the others for fear of the larger consequences. Equilibrium was achieved in part because of the differences. Britain's role also outlasted its demise as a first-rate economic power, and despite the rise of several competing states, stayed preeminent in part because the others were reluctant to wrest leadership away from it until the First World War. Chapter 3. Alternative Worlds The substantial number of game-changers and complex interactions among them suggest an endless variety of scenarios. We've sought here to delineate four archetypal futures that represent distinct pathways for future developments out to 2030. In reality, the future probably will consist of elements from all the alternative worlds. The graphic on the top of that page shows U.S. share of real global GDP under the four scenarios. The graphic on the bottom of the page at left illustrates patterns in the shift in global economic clout across regions, measured in terms of regions, countries, share of GDP in 2010, and in our four scenarios for 2030. The four scenarios are stalled engines, a scenario in which the U.S. and Europe turn inward and globalization stalls, fusion, a world in which the U.S. and China cooperate, leading to worldwide cooperation on global challenges. Genie out of the bottle, a world in which economic inequalities dominate. Non-state world, a scenario in which non-state actors take the lead in solving global challenges. Alternative World 1, Stalled Engines. We chose stalled engines, a scenario in which the U.S. and Europe turn inward and globalization stalls, as one of the bookends, illustrating the most plausible worst case. Arguably, darker scenarios are imaginable, 
including a complete breakdown and reversal of globalization due to a potential large-scale conflict on the order of World War I or World War II. But such an outcome does not seem probable. We believe the risks of interstate conflict will rise, but we do not expect bilateral conflict to ignite a full-scale conflagration. Moreover, unlike in the interwar period, the complete unraveling of economic interdependence or globalization would be more difficult and therefore less likely in this more advanced technological age with ubiquitous connections. Stalled engines is nevertheless a bleak future. Our modeling suggests that under this scenario, total global income would be $27 trillion less than under fusion, our most optimistic scenario. This amount is more than the combined economies of the U.S. and Eurozone today. In a stalled engines world, the U.S. and Europe are no longer capable nor interested in sustaining global leadership. The U.S. political system fails to address its fiscal challenges and consequently economic policy and performance drift. The European project unravels. Greece's exit from the Eurozone triggers the rapid unmanaged exit of the rest of the periphery. More nationalist, even nativist parties rise to claim positions of influence in coalition governments. By the 2020s, it looks like only a limited free trade zone will remain. Economic growth continues in major emerging markets and accounts for approximately three quarters of global growth. Nonetheless, fundamental economic and political reforms remain elusive in China and India. Corruption, social unrest, weak financial systems, and chronically poor infrastructures slow their growth rates. China's growth falls, for example, from 8% at the start of the period to around 3% by 2030. As pressures grow everywhere for disengagement and protectionism, the global governance system is unable to cope with a widespread pandemic that triggers panic. Rich countries wall themselves off from many developing and poor countries in Asia, Africa, and the Middle East. By disrupting international travel and trade, the severe pandemic helps to stall out but does not kill globalization. On the sidelines of the annual Davos meeting, a number of multinational CEOs gather to discuss what they see as globalization stalling out. One of their members has asked the director of her strategic vision office to write a short paper describing the downward spiral, which is used as the basis for the discussion. The following is an extract from that paper. World Corp Strategic Vision Group 1800 Ladbroke Lane, Suite 615, London, England, W105NE. I have to confess that I did not see it coming, but we have to face up to the fact that we are in a new world, one in which globalization is no longer a given. You may ask how this came about. The key was the inward turn of the United States. I think all of us thought that the discovery of shale gas meant that the U.S. was back, despite all the domestic squabbling. 
Clearly, we did not take into consideration the U.S. legal system. Not only did our earlier inflated estimates fall victim to slower-than-anticipated technological improvements in extraction efficiency and deposits that proved to be at the lower end of initial forecasts, but we failed to factor in the costly series of lawsuits against the energy producers. Then we were hit with a double whammy. Just when we thought Europe was digging itself out from Greece's unruly exit from the Eurozone and negotiating a new political and economic pact, the French people have revolted in the latest referendum on a new EU treaty. It was a devastating defeat for the French government, and now a huge problem for everyone else. It is not clear that a new deal can be devised given the wide margin of defeat for the former treaty proposal. Increasingly, German elites are saying that Germany doesn't need the EU anymore. They want to get out now. I'm not sure the developing world understands the seriousness of these changes. I think there was, on their part, a certain schadenfreude rejoicing about the West's problems. China welcomed the U.S. decision to draw down its overseas forces, seeing it as a guarantee of U.S. non-interference, though Chinese liberals are chagrined because they saw a strong U.S. as keeping the pressure on Beijing for reforms. Beijing expects Vietnam and the Philippines to gradually back down in the South China Sea without strong U.S. support. China has its own share of problems. Fundamental economic and political reforms have stalled corruption and social unrest is slowing growth rates, which perhaps explains why the government is fomenting nationalism and becoming more adventurist overseas. Many Indian strategists have been leery of putting too much trust in the U.S. The recent U.S. drawdown confirms they were right. New Delhi has few other natural partners. India worries a lot about its influence in Central Asia. A Taliban coup recently occurred in which all the other factions which had formed the government were brutally suppressed. India, which blames Pakistan, sought Western help but was largely rebuffed. Indian distrust of China has also grown to the extent that no more BRIC summits are being held. Chinese and Indian diplomats won't sit together even in a multilateralist setting. China recently completed a 38,000 megawatt dam on the Brahmaputra, close to the disputed border with India, and has begun building another. China's decision to test Vietnam's determination to stand up to Beijing in the South China Sea has Indian officials on edge. In Delhi's view, China's aggression appears to be unstoppable without a greater U.S. willingness to intervene. It appears to be only a matter of time before China's blue water navy extends its sway farther west into the Indian Ocean. The global economy has suffered the consequences of the escalating tensions among the emerging powers. Global growth is now trending downward. Poorer countries particularly are suffering. During bad harvest years, more countries are creating export bans, exacerbating food shortages and price spikes. Another turning point was when the Middle East boiled over. Sunni Shia violence exploded in the Gulf 
Iran intervened to protect Shia in Bahrain, prompting Saudi military retaliation. Iran then announced that it would start testing a nuclear device. The U.S. debated whether to send the Sixth Fleet to the Gulf to ensure the free flow of oil, but Washington decided to take a wait-and-see approach. If I have to choose a moment when it was clear that the U.S. role had changed, this was it. Even the Chinese got worried about a diminishing U.S. role and sent their fleet to the Gulf of Oman. There appears to be no end in sight to the Sunni-Shia tensions. Saudi Arabia and Iran, both hit by lower energy prices because of the global growth slowdown, have nevertheless increased tensions by launching a proxy war in Syria and Lebanon. Hezbollah has also launched its first large-scale cyber attack against Israel and the United States. With large amounts of arable land, unconventional energy reserves, if the lawyers ever allow them to be tapped, and adequate water resources, the U.S. can be more self-sufficient than most other countries. The growing disorder outside the U.S. has strengthened those in favor of disengagement. In China, however, the party is increasingly under fire for what many Chinese people view as gross mismanagement of the economy. A coordinated general strike has been ongoing in several of the major cities. India's development has also substantially slowed. No government stays in power long, and there is a constant reshuffling of government posts among coalition partners. As with most ill fortune, Troubles tend to come in waves. A deadly virus, which scientists had warned about repeatedly, has erupted in Southeast Asia. Ironically, with the increased security and border controls, the U.S., some Europeans, and even China are better able to weather the pandemic, which is spreading quickly. Flights have been canceled and ship transports have been stopped. There are reports of tens of millions of deaths. Twitter tried to operate even at the height of the pandemic, but a number of governments pulled the plug, saying that the use of social media was responsible for the increasing panic. The virulent strain spread quickly outside Southeast Asia to South Asia and along the trade and travel routes to the Middle East and Africa. As a result of the pandemic, there is now a new map of the world in everybody's mind. I can remember when the world map was the British Empire, with a quarter of the Earth's surface colored in pink. Then we had the map of the free world, with Washington as its capital. Now the new mental map shows a devastated Southeast Asia and portions of India, the Horn of Africa, and parts of the Gulf, Many of these areas are still not getting any international assistance. This new mental map created by what happened to the poor and destitute and their being shunned by the rich countries, including China, is widening the gulf between north and south and east and west. The new map will be what survivors in the developing world carry around in their minds and, consciously or not, will inform thinking for a generation on world affairs. Even in the rich developed countries, which were spared the worst impact from the pandemic, the death toll reached several million. The youth were particularly susceptible. I can't tell you the psychological impact 
on the rich survivors. The worldwide pandemic has put globalization even more in disfavor. It was the coup de grace for many, sealing the case against what was seen as the rampant globalization earlier in the 21st century. Western multinationals have seen forced nationalization in Southeast Asia, India, and Africa. Governments there say those businesses which ceased their operations during the pandemic lost their rights to resume their businesses afterward. Still, I notice that Facebook is becoming more popular and that young people are also beginning to travel and study abroad. Maybe this augurs a rebound in globalization's fortune. Stalled Engines How Game Changers Shape Scenario Global Economy All boats sink in this scenario. Slower global growth is accompanied by higher food prices. Conflict A new great game ramps up in Asia. Sunni-Shia violence erupts in the Middle East, pitting Iran against Saudi Arabia. Outside powers, such as the U.S. and Europe, decline to intervene. Regional stability. Southeast Asia and portions of India, the Horn of Africa, and parts of the Gulf are hit hard by the pandemic, undermining stability. Even before the pandemic, the breakdown in global governance has meant an increasingly unstable Central Asia and Middle East. Governance. Multilateralism comes to a halt following a worldwide pandemic. Rich countries panic and try to isolate poorer countries where the outbreak started and is more severe. Resentments build between East and West and North and South. Technology. Lack of technological improvements means the shale gas revolution is delayed. By end of scenario, however, IT connections are source of renewal, preserving globalization. U.S. role in the world. The U.S. turns inward. The U.S. public is no longer as interested in sustaining the burdens of global leadership and, following the pandemic, is more interested in building a fortress America. Stalled engines. How major powers regions fare in scenario. Europe. Preoccupied by domestic turmoil, Europe sits with the U.S. on the sidelines. Russia. Russian power in the near abroad has grown with the U.S. pullback from Afghanistan and Central Asia. China. Fundamental economic and political reforms have stalled. Corruption and social unrest is slowing growth rates which perhaps explains why the government is fomenting nationalism and becoming more adventurous overseas. India A U.S. withdrawal from Asia leaves India having to fend on its own against what it sees as an increasingly aggressive China. Brazil, middle-tier powers Brazil and the rest of South America are less affected by growing geopolitical tensions and the worldwide pandemic. As a major food exporter, Brazil has benefited from rising prices. It seeks to fill the vacuum created by a withdrawn U.S. and Europe. Poor developing states in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Poorer states suffer enormously in this scenario from rising geopolitical tensions and food inflation. 
pandemic deaths are greatest in poorer countries, and recovery will be difficult with the breakdown in global economic and technological cooperation. Alternative World 2. Fusion. Fusion is the other bookend, portraying what we see as the most plausible best case. This is a world in which the specter of a spreading conflict in South Asia triggers efforts by the U.S. and China to intervene and impose a ceasefire. China and the U.S. find other issues to collaborate on, leading to a sea change in their bilateral relations, as well as to broader worldwide cooperation on global challenges. This scenario would only be possible through strong political leadership that overrules cautious domestic constituencies and forges stronger international partnerships. As a result, trust between societies and civilizations would increase. In a fusion world, economic growth resumes as the initial collaboration on security is widened to include intellectual property and innovation to deal with resource issues and climate change. China, bolstered by the increasing role it is playing in the international system, begins a process of political reform. With the growing collaboration among major powers, global multilateral institutions are reformed and made more inclusive. In other words, political and economic reforms move forward hand in hand. In this scenario, all boats substantially rise. Emerging economies continue to grow faster than advanced economies, but GDP growth in advanced economies also accelerates. The global economy nearly doubles by 2030, to $132 trillion that year. The American dream returns with per capita incomes rising $10,000 in 10 years. Chinese per capita incomes also rapidly increase, ensuring that China avoids the middle income trap. In Europe, the Eurozone crisis proves to be the catalyst for deep political and economic restructuring. In addition to political leadership in states, the role of non-state actors is also key. Technological innovation rooted in expanded exchanges and joint efforts at the university and research lab level is critical to the world staying ahead of the rising resource constraints that would result from the rapid boost in prosperity. In 2030, the East-West Center founded in 1960 by the U.S. Congress to promote better relations and understanding among the people and nations of the United States, Asia, and the Pacific through cooperative study, research, and dialogue, has decided to change its name to the Center for Global Integration. The inaugural address for the rechristened institution will be given by a noted archaeologist, whose works underlining the similarities among civilizations are being rediscovered, winning public acclaim for his foresight. In recent years, he was beginning to doubt whether he was right, as he recounts here. The growing tensions between the great powers had him on the brink of recanting what seemed like an overly optimistic view of global trends. In his address, transcribed here, he explains why those doubts have now dissipated, and he is returning to his earlier rosy outlook. 2. 
Center for Global Integration from Dr. Arthur E. Kent. Center for Global Integration. Subject, Inaugural Address Transcript. If you had asked me any time during the second decade of the 21st century, I would have told you that we were headed into a world catastrophe. It felt like what we read about the run-up to the First World War, when there were mounting frictions between the great powers. In this case, there was sparring between China and India, China and the U.S., and the U.S. and Europe, over Middle East policy, and among the U.S., India, and Pakistan, over Afghanistan. Talk about the great game. Everybody seemed to be playing it despite knowing the harm it was doing to the global economy. The West was having a bad economic decade. The needed political and structural reforms in both the U.S. and Europe were taking time to produce a payoff. Much of Europe was dealing with the dramatic aging of its population. The United States was bogged down in long-running partisan debates. The surprise was China. Everyone assumed that it would continue to advance. No one anticipated the leadership's decision-making paralysis and how the internal wrangling was taking a toll on China's economic growth. As Metternich was wont to say about France at the Congress of Vienna, if China sneezes, everyone else catches a cold. China did more than make everyone get an economic cold. China's leaders, despite or maybe because of the downturn, ramped up military spending, causing everyone's nerves to get on edge. In this environment of slowing global growth and increasing distrust, Indo-Pakistani tensions also flared in a year of drought. Pakistan accused India of holding back much-needed relief with its refusal to open its dams along the Indus. Delhi viewed the increased militant infiltration in Kashmir as a Pakistani provocation. It also detected Islamabad's hand in a plot by extremists to blow up the Mumbai Stock Exchange. India mobilized its army. The major powers were scrambling. Beijing sent a secret envoy to Washington with a ceasefire plan. Together, the U.S. and China brought the plan to the U.N. Security Council. China promised to inject massive amounts of humanitarian and development aid if Pakistan seized further retaliation. The U.S. and Europe threatened massive sanctions if India did not withdraw. The U.S. and China are co-sponsoring peace talks in Geneva to settle issues such as Kashmir and Pakistani support for militant groups. No one would have predicted such a positive outcome. A lot depended on the personal ties between U.S. and Chinese leaders. Both leaderships disregarded the objections raised by mid-level bureaucrats to cooperating with the other and have been awarded Nobel Peace Prizes for their joint initiative. The leaders saw the danger of a major war for everyone's future and acted. They also wanted to do more, hence their decision to ignite a global technological revolution. Developing technological solutions to major challenges had an electrifying effect, particularly for younger generations. Whereas the 2010s were all doom and gloom, the 2020s turned suddenly into a golden age for technology. Mechanisms for global sharing of innovation 
were established by China and the United States. Global education exchanges flourished like never before. Turkey, Russia, and Israel, for example, became creative hotbeds for cross-cultural fertilization. Knowledge industries spread into Africa and Latin America. In this collaborative environment, a global consensus for action on clean energy and food security emerged. U.S. labs led in producing new materials to support improved energy storage. Scientists based in India worked on more decentralized energy systems serving rural areas. Brazil became the center for work on a new green revolution. The Gulf states have seen the writing on the wall and are rapidly diversifying their economies. Their efforts to develop strong universities which began with U.S. and Western help, have paid off for the region. The Gulf states now have a highly trained and entrepreneurial elite. A sort of contagion took hold, somewhat along the lines of what happened in Asia in the 1970s and 1980s, and the Middle East is experiencing rapid economic development. Years from now, I think that historians will see changing immigration and mobility as the foundation for the growing political and technological cooperation. For good or for ill, a cosmopolitan elite with ties to multiple countries has formed. These elites are comfortable working and living in multiple places. Even the less skilled are more mobile, filling in gaps in many aging societies. The increasing spread of biometrics has meant that government authorities can now easily track flows of people. The number of illegals in America or Europe has dropped. As a result, governments are more confident about allowing expanded flows of workers. There is less talk of declineism the United States, or Europe's. World attention is now more focused on how to protect the biosphere, given the rampant growth unleashed by greater international cooperation. Plant and insect species are dying off at an alarming rate due to the rampant urbanization and agricultural revolutions. The size of the middle class has exploded across the globe. Even Western middle classes are getting richer. It is a never-ending cycle. New technologies are replacing or making available resources go farther. But the growing number of nouveaux riches are causing cities to swell and rural areas to depopulate. Other environmental concerns have also become troubling. Several recent typhoons have been unusually powerful, causing an unprecedented number of deaths and greater physical destruction than ever before. Arctic ice melted at a far more rapid rate than anticipated, and rampant exploitation of resources in the Arctic has begun. Methane gas levels are rising rapidly, exacerbating climate change scientists' fears. South Asia is still a concern. Cooperation elsewhere and pressure from other powers such as China and the U.S. have persuaded the Indians and Pakistanis 
to increase their strategic dialogue and to begin to open trade flows. India's rapid economic expansion fuels distrust, suspicion, and envy among Pakistanis. Pakistan has not ceased its nuclear modernization program, is still a battleground for competing interests. A page has been turned in human history. No more competition over resources. Fusion. How Game Changers Shape Scenario. Global Economy. All boats substantially rise. Emerging economies continue to grow faster than advanced ones, but GDP growth in advanced economies also accelerates. The global economy nearly doubles by 2030 to $132 trillion that year. Chinese per capita incomes rapidly increase, ensuring that China avoids the middle income trap. Conflict. The specter of a spreading conflict in South Asia triggers intervention by the U.S. and China, leading to a ceasefire and settlement. Such success breeds broader cooperation on global and regional challenges, lowering risks of conflict. Regional stability. Tensions remain in South Asia, the Middle East, and elsewhere, but increased multilateral cooperation on poverty and climate change lessens the risks of instability. Europe rebounds. A liberal China increases possibilities for regional security in Asia. Governance. Cooperation, initially based on the U.S. and China coming together, quickly spreads. Greater democratization takes hold first with a more liberal regime in China. Reform of the multilateral institutions is a final stage, following deepening cooperation among powers. Technology. The rapid expansion of scientific knowledge is a key factor in sustaining a more cooperative world. Technological innovation is also critical to the world staying ahead of the rising resource constraints that would result from the rapid boost in prosperity posited under this scenario. U.S. Role in the World the American dream returns with per capita incomes rising $10,000 in 10 years. The United States' technological surge and efforts to end conflicts are the basis of U.S. leadership. Talk of U.S. declineism has abated in this new environment where cooperation has replaced competition among the great powers. Fusion how major powers regions fare in scenario europe in europe the eurozone crisis proves to be the catalyst for deep political and economic restructuring russia as technology becomes the source of international legitimacy and status russia starts rebuilding its s and t sector russia becomes a creative hotbed for cross-cultural fertilization. China. China emerges stronger with its soft power enhanced and begins to move toward democracy. It assumes increased global and regional roles. India. 
India's high-tech industries benefit greatly from the new cooperative environment, while Sino-Indian ties improve. India still struggles to overcome historic tensions with Pakistan. The advances in energy and water help to ensure continued economic development. Brazil Middle Tier Powers Brazilian scientists are on the forefront of the new green revolution for Africa. With more cooperation among the great powers, middle-tier powers find that they play less of a global role than when U.S. and China competed for their support. Poor Developing States Poor states benefit greatly from the technological advances in food and energy. Some states continue to teeter on the edge of failure, but many more are doing better in the cooperative atmosphere. End of section 11. Recording by Patrick McAfee, Merritt Island.